0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition, Washington, D.C. looks like a militarized zone as unprecedented security is put in place for Wednesday's inaugural activities. The FBI is even vetting the National Guardsmen stationed in D.C. for the event. What are they vetting them for? We'll talk about it with the former acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. I'll also ask him about the events of January the 6th and why he stepped down from his role as acting secretary. Also,
1: let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today.
0: Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We'll talk about this dream of ethnic harmony with the former fire chief of Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. Kelvin Cochran. And in the wake of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, is there a so-called reckoning coming for evangelicals who supported Donald Trump? That's actually not coming from the left, but from never-Trumpers who say those who supported Trump sold out their beliefs to do so. Really? So, according to them, we should have supported Hillary Clinton in 2016 and Joe Biden in 2020? We'll set the record straight here later On Washington Watch, David Clausen, Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council, joins me for that lively discussion. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I encourage you to check out the website and to stay connected. Look, uh, I'm going to be talking about this more tomorrow, but social media systematically tightening the the chokehold around conservative speech. Uh, Yesterday on the weekend uh, talk shows, Facebook saying, hey, We're we're, we're moving forward. They're even trying to kick off uh, Newsmax and OAN from their platforms. The day's coming where conservative speech will not be allowed on these platforms. I encourage you to stay connected. Text the word STAND to 67742. That's 67742 so we can stay connected. If if we lose one platform, we're going to be operating on another one. We will not be silent. Big tech will not silence us from speaking the truth so i encourage you text the word stand to 67742 also on your browser make sure you uh, you mark tonyperkins.com uh, that's where you can get up to date accurate information all right uh, th- this uh, this news coming out today actually that the head of the DC National Guard said uh, today that the FBI is vetting troops involved in securing the capital. There's uh, about 25,000 guardsmen have been deployed to Washington, D.C. Of course, all this coming in the wake of the riots on the Capitol on January the 6th that left many Americans disheartened uh, by the final days of the Trump administration. In fact, a number of uh, administration officials resigned following the uh, this uh, disgusting action that took place by rioters on Capitol Hill. My next guest, shared the opinion that the actions taken were unacceptable but many are trying to tie his resignation directly to the capitol riot and the administration's response is that the case well we'll talk with him about it uh, on november the 13th 2019 chad, chad wolf was appointed the acting secretary of homeland security by president trump and was also confirmed as the first undersecretary of the us department of homeland security of strategy policy and plans what did he accomplish during his time well here to answer that question is the former DHS acting secretary, Chad Wolf. Chad, welcome to the program.
2: Well, thank you for having me again, Tony. Appreciate it.
0: All right. A uh, lot to talk about here. But first, um, let, let's talk about this, un, uh, this unprecedented level of security in our nation's capital. Is the threat that great?
2: Well, I think what you definitely see is anytime there's an inauguration uh, in a national special security event or an NSSE, the, the security is certainly increased now. Take that, given the events of January the 6th, and you're going to have this increased level of security that you see, uh, you see in Washington, D.C. today. So uh, we need to make sure, and I've talked about this publicly, we need to make sure that we don't overreact, uh, that we don't clamp down on individuals expressing their First Amendment right to, uh, to protest, to, to have that free speech. I saw that there were some permitted events over the weekend that were canceled. And, again, I think we need to be very careful about that. But, you know, they're going to make sure the the officials at DHS, DOD, and others are going to make sure that uh, the capital is safe and secure as we go uh, into inauguration
3: day on the 20th. Now,
0: you began your work uh, after nine eleven. I mean, you've had a long time uh, working in the federal government and, in, uh, in fact, the TSA, Homeland Security. After nine eleven, we saw obviously an uptick in security that you know went back just a little bit. But we 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 now live with a whole new level of security than we had prior to nine eleven. Is that going to be the case after what happened last, uh, on January the sixth at the Capitol?
2: I don't I don't think so in the long term. I think again we are uh, just a little over a week after the events of the Capitol, and you have an inauguration coming up as well. So. I think all of that is still very, very fresh in our minds, and so we need to obviously take that aboard. I think one of the things that's probably most disconcerting to me throughout this conversation over the past week, week and a half, is we actually saw this type of violence during the summer, and I was on your show, Tony, talking about the violence that we were seeing from the other side uh, in places like Portland and Oakland and Seattle and Atlanta and elsewhere. And unfortunately, you didn't have the same reaction that you have this time to the events that were occurring then. Again, they were trying to go after federal buildings. They were targeting law enforcement. So I think we need to make sure that our reaction to certain events is, is both measured, but that it's equal. It's equal right. if we're going to really talk about the things that occurred in the Capitol. And, and as I said at the time, discussing what occurred there. Very similar events occurred throughout our country throughout the summer. And, again, you didn't have certain politicians really coming out there Talking about putting individuals on a no fly list as they're talking about and cancelling protest as they're talking about now in fact, the department got criticized because we weren 't allowing people to protest more so there is a little bit of a double standard being applied here, and I think that's also uh, concerning
0: uh, chad wolf excellent point I agree one hundred percent i mean i I have condemned uh, the violence that took place the lawlessness that took place in cities across America and on Capitol Hill because in a republic that is upheld by the rule of law, there is no place for lawlessness. It doesn't work. But I go back to uh, what happened in Minneapolis. If if the mayor there would have not allowed that rampage to take place after the shooting of Mr. Floyd, I, I, I don't think we would have seen it spread across the country. And then collectively, as so many elected officials in these cities failed to respond appropriately to the violence in their cities? I mean, should we be surprised? Even though we dis- we, we, we refute uh, the validity of it, it happened. But should we be surprised that it happened in our nation's capital?
2: Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, I think the events that you saw of individuals inside the capital has probably never uh, been seen before in quite some time. But the idea of, may, of having violent protest in the Capitol in D.C., given what we knew coming I mean, out of the election and just our experience over the summer, it was not a surprise to anyone inside the department and on a number of calls that I were a part of and our staff were a part of. And obviously, I think what you saw on the 6th was just a breakdown by Capitol Police of having a plan in place. Uh, And if they did have a plan, it was not executed. So uh, this idea that no one was ready for it was just not the case. DHS had brought in additional law enforcement officers. But, Tony, as you know, the security of the Capitol complex is Capitol Hill police exclusively. They answer to Congress. They don't answer to the executive branch. So we were there to support, and we had over 100 Secret Service folks up there within a matter of hours. So, again, I think you need to plan for the worst. That's what law enforcement does. And I think there's a lot of investigations going on right now. Seen what occurred, uh, what was the breakdown with Capitol Police in this case?
0: Now, I, I want to get to uh, your response to January the 6th, but before I do that, uh, it's my understanding that uh, Homeland Security actually offered to the mayor of DC, Mayor Bowser, support in advance of January the 16th. A, a, again, as you said, just in, yeah. in in preparation for what might occur. Is that true? <laughs>
2: Uh, It is. So uh, the mayor wrote uh, myself, acting secretary at the time, I believe, on January the 5th. This would have been a day before and essentially said, we don't need any federal presence. Uh, And if we and if you do bring in people, then obviously make sure to coordinate with us, which we would always do. But the letter was pretty clear. We don't need any help. Now, I I received a letter from her days after the events of the sixth, saying, please send in as many folks as you can. So. Again, you're going to have some politicians right now that are starting to cover their tracks and starting to backtrack on what they've been saying throughout the summer and leading into this time period where they didn't want federal authorities in. And now you see an event happen and everyone is ready to say, bring in as many as possible. Mm -hmm. Again, very, very different attitude that they had during the summer. It was a different type of group protesting for different reasons, uh, but doing it in a very violent way.
0: Uh, Chad Wolf, we're going to run out of time here, and I want to get to this because after the events of January the sixth, which you spoke out very clearly about, um, uh, you then stepped down from your role as acting secretary. Some have tied that to the fact that maybe you were at odds with the president in the administration, but I don't think that's the case.
2: Yeah. So my, uh, I decided to step down for a very specific reason, and, and it's this: over the last uh, several months, the department's been in litigation regarding. Uh, my authority as acting secretary and really my predecessor's authority as acting secretary uh, and how it was done. And we've been uh, we've had some misplaced rulings, some negative rulings against the department over the last uh, several months, uh, with the most recent one occurring uh, on the 9th or sorry, the uh, January the 8th. And I just didn't see a way forward. There was no there was no longer a legal uh, means to resolve these cases. So anything that I did going forward, even over the last eight to 10 days of the administration, would be litigated, would be challenged, and we were continuing to lose these cases. So I wanted to make sure that the consequential work that the department had done over the last four years uh, was in good hands. So I wanted to make sure there was an acting secretary that could reaffirm some of these decisions. And so these decisions that we're talking about that we're getting you know, ruled negatively on and, and courts are, are blocking. Things like the public charge rule, our asylum bars rulemaking, our USCIS, increasing the fees for individuals applying for visas, employment authorization rules, our DACA policy, even our deployment of federal law enforcement to Portland, as well as border wall waivers. These are waivers that I would sign to expedite construction of the border wall. These are all things that the department was losing on, and these would be things that would be very consequential over the next one to two years of of having to fight. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to continue to put the department at risk there, uh, in my mind, Um, and so I wanted to make sure that we had an acting secretary that could exercise legal authorities moving into this transition of power.
0: So essentially, all the work that had been done could have easily been overturned in the courts because they would have said you didn't have the authority to do it. But now that you've stepped down, someone who has been recognized with that, Uh, essentially certifies those things that have been done and the Biden administration will have to go through the formal process to change those policies. Is that right?
2: That's right. So there is a process that we've set up to certify or ratify these decisions. A lot of these court cases won't go away instantly, but we will be talking about and debating the merits of those cases and not whether or not I had authority as acting secretary.
0: Makes uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I have to say, I think this administration is acting uh, very smart in the rulemaking process and what they're doing uh, leaving uh, after these four years. Uh, Mr. Secretary, Mr. Former Secretary, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I appreciate the the work that you've done at Homeland Security. And uh, appreciate you joining us here on Washington Watch.
2: Anytime, Tony. Thank
0: you. All right. Chad Wolf, former acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Probably be a long time before we have another uh, secretary on the program in the next four years. Uh, anyway, all right, stay tuned. Today is Martin Luther King Day. We're going to be talking to the former fire chief of Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. Kelvin Cochran. Don't go away.
4: Hey, Matt.
5: Hey, Hannah.
4: What's going on? Why so gloomy?
5: Well, I'm a little
6: disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it.
4: Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do?
6: Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it.
4: Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard. But one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out.
6: When did they start? I, I would be so far behind.
4: Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading.
6: Nice. Where can I find this?
4: Go to FRC.org Bible, and you can get started.
6: Where's that again?
4: FRC.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our biblical worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular Biblical Principles for Political Engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview.
0: Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation of the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold.
1: Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today.
0: It has been 51 years since the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. at a motel in Memphis, Tennessee. King's untimely death is outshined by his legacy of fighting for civil rights and his iconic speeches that made him one of America's greatest orators. I, I just, uh, his, his speeches, I, I read them. Uh, he was a powerful communicator. And peaceful s- civil disobedience, all a revival as a powerful form of protest when Dr. King ran with the ideas of uh, Mahatma Gandhi to advance the civil rights movement here in the United States. And you have to ask the question, as we look back 50 years, a half a century, has America moved closer to that dream? You know, I would say that we were, we were moving. I mean, obviously, you had an, uh, a, a president of the United States, Barack Obama, who was an African American. We now have, I, I think, she identifies in part uh, an incoming vice president. Um, we've got members of the United States Senate. I would say in many ways we have. But then again, in other ways, I would say that we're a more divided nation. Well, joining me now to talk about this is uh, dr kelvin cochran chief operating officer at elizabeth baptist church but he is also the former fire chief at the city of atlanta dr cochran welcome to the program
3: uh hello tony thank you for inviting me to the program today on this very uh special day in our country
0: well let's talk a little bit about that you're originally from shreveport louisiana you uh Served there in the fire department. You had a. I, I, we've we've known each other for the benefit of our our listeners. You were removed from your post at the um, chief of Atlanta because you wrote a, a men's Bible study on human sexuality. Um, who told you you were naked? Um, and it was, uh, you know, it, you've gone through this. You've seen what's happening in our culture. But I want to go back to your dream because you, uh, and I want you to share that with our listeners because you had a dream as a as a small boy to be a fireman. And, and in America, you realize that, Dureen.
3: Uh, That's correct, uh, Tony. Uh, I'm one of those American kids that when I was very small at five years old, I saw a fire across the street from the shotgun house I was living in and watching those street court firefighters that day. I looked at my mom and brothers and sisters and said, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. That was in 1965. Little did I know that the year prior, 1964, the Civil Rights Act uh, was passed based on the the, the uh, apex of the Civil Rights Movement that would pave the way for my childhood dream to come true to become a Shreveport firefighter in 1981. I was one of the first African Americans to be uh, uh uh, employed as a firefighter in Shreveport, Louisiana.
0: And you went on to become chief there at Shreveport, did you not?
3: That's correct. You know, uh, by the grace of God and really the, the far reaching impacts of the civil rights movement in my life personally, uh, when you work hard, we were taught when we were kids if you believe in God, if you respect grown ups, uh, if you treat other people like you want to be treated and get a good education all your dreams would come true. So I pressed on in my career with those values. And in 1999, became the first African-American fire chief of the city of Shreveport and uh, ultimately became the United States Fire Administrator uh, under the administration of the first African-American president of the United States, uh, President Barack Obama. All of that, Tony, I think is evidence of the progress uh, that has been made as a result of the efforts of Dr. King uh, and the civil rights movement.
0: I would agree. Uh, Absolutely would agree. But I also want to ask you this this question, Kelvin, when we look at where we stand today right now, I, I feel like we're more divided today because of what has happened in the last year. And, and in many ways have taken a step back from all the gains that have been made. Not not because it's being driven by government, but more that it, it is what's happening culturally in our country.
3: I would agree wholeheartedly. It's heartbreaking to me. I, I believe it would break Dr. King's heart to really be alive to see what's taking place uh, in our nation today. And uh, Tony, I believe with all of my heart that what we're experiencing today uh, is because of the uh, dismemberment uh, of the body of Christ, uh, and I use that word dismemberment intentionally because I believe, uh, as the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States, we are far from divided. We are we are dismembered, and um, because we are not divided, because we are not united as the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, how can we expect for our nation to be united when the church is uh, dismembered? Uh, Dr. Ronnie Floyd sent out a letter from the Southern Baptist Convention earlier this week and his statement was was a profound statement in his letter that said, how can we call the nation to unity when the church is divided? And that resonated with me. Significantly, I think that's the core issue uh, to the, the the division that we see in our nation today.
0: Well, when we come back, we're up against a break. Uh, Kelvin, I, I want to talk about what, what is it that is um, behind that disunity, that dismemberment, as you said, of the body of Christ in, in America. How do we bring it together? But then also the, the way forward in, in, in realizing that dream as America becomes uh, well, in this environment, as we said, so, so divided, so, so much disunity, and, and um, America's fractured. It's, it's really kind yeah. of a hyphenated country. How do we get back to being one people, one nation under God? We'll talk about that. Dr. Kelvin Cochran, my guest, former fire chief of Atlanta. Well, I bet his pastor is so happy to have him on staff there at uh, Elizabeth Baptist Church. I sure would. All right, folks, don't go. We're going to continue our conversation with Kelvin right after this. <laughs>
7: history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting FRC.org slash China.
4: Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep. You can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed. So you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow. I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit FRC.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store.
1: Okay, that's Stand Firm.
4: Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh?
0: Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. The website is tonyperkins.com. I encourage you to check out the website. Resources there for you. Also, if you want to stay connected, regardless of what the social media platforms do, text the word STAND to 67742. That's the word STAND to 67742. My guest uh, in this uh, third segment, Dr. Kelvin Cochran, Chief Operating Officer of Elizabeth Baptist Church. There in Atlanta, former fire chief of Atlanta, uh, Calvin. Thanks so much for uh, for sticking around. I, I want to get right to this because you you talk about the body of Christ being dismembered, being disconnected. What's driving the? Do you think the disunity in the church, and what would unify it? Uh,
3: Tony, I believe that the primary drivers of the division, the dismemberment. Uh, is race and politics. Um, I, I think that there's just so much we don't understand about ourselves as the body of Christ as it relates to race. And our misunderstandings, Tony, allow uh, for the enemy, the enemy, to drive a wedge between the unity of the body of Christ because our misunderstandings of one another uh, as it relates to race uh, and then I believe politics have uh, driven a wedge, and the enemy has used that against the body of Christ, uh, because there are Christians, Tony, on both sides in both major parties. There are Christians who are Republicans, and there are Christians who are uh, Democrats, and uh, they hold fast to their political ideologies, uh, and their staunch um, uh, commitment to the political ideologies— uh, allow for divisions to occur, you know, within the body of Christ. So I think those are the two uh, major factors, race and politics.
0: And you've, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've been able to, to see both sides of this uh, in the experience that you've gone through. What do you see as the way forward?
3: You know, uh, you're right. It is my experience when I was terminated for writing that men's Bible study that really gave me a national perspective of uh, the assessment that I have just provided. And, um, you know, I saw it up close and personal. And, uh, but I believe the way forward uh, is not complicated, uh, Tony. I believe the way forward uh, is to first of all recognize that all of us are so those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, that all of us, Tony, are sons and daughters of God, that our primary identity is not the color of our skin, our primary identity is not our political party, but our primary identity is in Christ, our primary identity is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God and that His ideology, based upon the inerrant word of the Scripture, should drive uh, what ideologies we pursue as uh, Christians in the United States of America, that we might become the United Christians of the United States of America. I also believe, uh, Tony, that reconciliation has to begin with the church. Uh, There are men and women in ministry, Christian ministry in the United States of America, Tony, that I refer to as the kings and queens of ministry in our country. They have platforms, they have resources, they have followers, congregational sizes. They are leaders of television networks, radio networks, social media platforms, mega churches. That carries such influence in our country that if the kings and queens of Christendom in the United States of America were to set aside whatever keeps them from doing so, set aside any differences and come together for a national summit to pray over the unity of the body of Christ, I believe we will see a mighty move of God uh, come from the kings and queens of Christendom in our country coming together. And there are so many things that could come from that uh that I believe will just inspire all Christian Americans to a greater level of unity and love for one another and love for our country
0: i I believe that you are right. One thing I've learned in in my uh in my life is that when the the enemy, our spiritual enemy, works so hard to keep something from happening it is an indication of how important that thing is. And when we see the efforts to keep white, black, uh, you you name it, the ethnic background, whether it's Asian, Hispanic, the effort to keep those believers, as you said, those who trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that are children of the living God, to keep them apart, keep a, I mean, as a a father, you know, when your family is fragmented and the, the siblings aren't getting along, it's not a peaceful, powerful place. But when they come together in unity, a family can do almost anything, meet any challenge, any demand. And, and I will tell you, Kelvin, what I see ahead for our nation, if the body of Christ doesn't come together, I'm fearful for the future of our nation.
3: I share that fear, Tony, that I believe uh, if the kings and queens would come together, I don't know how that can happen, but I've been praying for that for years. I'm even fasting for it right
7: now. I will
0: will will join you in that. I'll join you in that prayer. Dr. Kelvin Cochran, out of time. Thanks so much for joining. It's great to talk with you, my friend.
3: Thank you, Tony. And it's great talking to you. All right. Great man.
0: All right, folks, stick around. Going to continue Washington Watch with a conversation with David Clawson next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
5: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com.
8: Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion access this important information by visiting frc.org hide
9: what's on your daily or weekly reading list are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture family research council has just the thing check out frc's blog at frcblog.com The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles, like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, if you want to stay connected in this age when the social media is booting conservatives left and right, never know. Here today, gone tomorrow. Well, I'm not counting on them. We're, we're working to move forward to make sure that we will have a platform to communicate with those who want to hear. Those who want to know what is going on and know the truth, because you cannot trust the cable news networks anymore, and I, I put them all together with the exception, I, I do have confidence in One America News. Um, I think Newsmax is doing a pretty good job, um, and most of the online services. There's a lot of people, a lot of different entities sprouting up right now to meet the demand, but we want to communicate to you from something that's unique that you will not get. And well, I'm not sure where you would get it other than here. And it's a it's a biblical worldview of what's happening. We're going to look at the events that are occurring in our nation around the world through the lenses of Scripture. We're going to, you know, they're not going to necessarily quote chapter and verse. But we at the Family Research Council, our whole orientation is the foundation of Scripture and we look at these things through that. And so when we what we're giving you is is truth, looking at it from that perspective. So if you want to stay connected with us and if you don't want to, that's fine. You know, we're not forcing anyone. We're just offering to those who care about this country and are concerned about the future and want to know facts. And, and on this program, Washington Watch, we bring you the newsmakers so you can hear for them, from them yourselves. But to stay connected, text the word "stand" to six seven seven four two. That's six seven seven four two. Not going to inundate you with stuff, but just keep you connected. Especially if uh, you know social media boots us, we'll have a place for you to go. Again, stand to six seven seven four two. Okay, here's what I want to talk about. There are some that come from the ranks of the Never Trumpers. They were always against President Trump. And now they are emerging again and uh, saying that evangelicals should look at how their own behaviors and actions may have helped fuel the insurrection that took place last week. There's some pinning what happened on July the 6th, uh, January the 6th, uh, on evangelicals because they supported Donald Trump over the last four years. Now it makes for great headlines, and it makes these uh I'm making sure I say this correctly evangelical leaders who make these statements, who by the way have been doing these things for a long time um making them look like though they're you know they're not like the other evangelicals well first off, uh, I've not seen um any And and I'm not saying it's not happening, I I don't know, I don't have full knowledge, but what has occurred so far is the people that have been arrested and identified, many of them are kooks and those um, kind of alt-right militia type people. Those are the ones that have been arrested so far. I've not seen a pastor, I've not seen any deacons, uh, Sunday school teachers, or evangelical leaders that were arrested. In fact, most of them have denounced what took place, just as I have multiple times, because maintaining law and order is not done through lawlessness. Establishing and, and, and building a bulwark around the rule of law, which makes America work, is not done through lawlessness. So anyway, I, I want to... I, I, I've talked about this many times, and I'm trying to be, uh, I'm trying to maintain my composure on this because I'm quite frankly, I'm tired of these um, evangelical voices that live in ivory towers that think we have these perfect choices to be made, and all they do is criticize those who are literally on the front lines of trying to preserve our country and our culture and making choices between two options, neither of which we desire, okay? And so for them to sit back and say that, well, you know, look, they're, those evangelicals, they should be questioning themselves and having a, a reckoning with themselves because they supported Donald Trump, and look what has happened. Well, let me tell you what's happened. A lot of good stuff has happened over the last four years. Now, I will tell you, the last four weeks has not been good. And I wish there could be, uh, you know, if that could be played back um, and undone, I think all of America would be happy. I certainly would be. But to say that the last four weeks and and some of the president's, uh, you know, tweets and his character uh, prior to coming into office should have kept evangelicals from supporting him it's just it's it's hogwash. I mean that's that's all I can describe it. Well, here to talk more about this, David Clausen, Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. David, welcome back to the program.
6: Thanks for having me back, Tony. Great to be with you.
0: All right, David. Should Christians who voted for Donald Trump regret their vote?
6: No. I I don't think so at all, Tony. And um, let me preface that by just saying, you know, what what took place, like you just said in your opening, uh, at the Capitol on January 6th, you know, that's a major moment in American history, a tragic moment in American history. Um, But I'll say, you know, it it requires the very best of Christian thinking uh, and of Christian reflection. Uh, We need to be honest as we reflect on what, what happened. Um, but I think it is, it, it's is—it's tragic. To, what happened at the Capitol, where I'm a few blocks away right, right now from where those events took place, I, I think it's also tragic that that has triggered this reaction from several evangelical leaders who, frankly, never supported the president and had been critical of his administration for the last four years. And, you know, personally, I don't think the president's rhetoric since November has been super helpful. I think it has distracted from an otherwise consequential term uh, but, but to read these articles that have come out in the last couple of days saying that there's a reckoning coming because we've sold out our beliefs that's not true and i just want to say tony that you know evangelical support for trump has always been qualified it was always conditional there's only one person that deserves unqualified and unconditional support from christians and that's jesus christ and so i don't I, this revisionist history going back and saying we should never have supported the president for Uh, Frankly, what's been uh, a consequential term over the last four years, I think that that that's unfortunate and it's opportunistic for those to uh, kind of try to rewrite history and uh, say that what happened uh, two weeks ago uh, characterizes the entire Trump term.
0: One article that came from the NPR, and it's questionable to me why an evangelical leader would lay all this out to NPR, one of the more liberal news outlets in America, but basically saying that a big part of this evangelical reckoning is a lot of people sold out their beliefs, going on to say, what happened? Why were so many people drawn to somebody who was obviously so not connected to what evangelicals believed by his life or his practices or more? You know, and, and again, this sets up this false choice. And I, I don't know how many times we have to say it, but I guess you've got to repeat it because they keep repeating the same illogical statement, we only had a choice. and, And I've said this before. I was not an early Trump supporter. I was with Ted Cruz. I campaigned around the country for Ted. But when it came down to a choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, well, guess what? I I began having conversations with Donald Trump and I supported him based upon a set of preconditions of which he met. And which we saw throughout the course of his administration. So to tell me we would be better off today had Hillary Clinton been president the last four years, I want to know what those evangelical leaders are smoking. Quite frankly,
6: well, I think I think the word you used, Tony, uh, the word "hogwash" earlier, describes some of that thinking. But let's be honest; it's not very, uh, it's it's not honest reflection. Without you know, and we, you and I on this show, talked multiple times about. The accomplishments we've seen the last four years, including over 200 federal judges, including three conservative Supreme Court justices, uh, religious liberty protection, uh, protecting prayer in public schools, rescinding uh, President Obama's guidance that required public schools to allow transgender students to use the bathrooms and showers of their choice, protecting free speech, First Amendment rights on college campuses, the list goes on and on and on. And again, none of those things would have been possible uh, under a Hillary Clinton first term. And so I think, and I've written about this uh, quite a bit actually, the last couple of years is, you know, we in this country, we have a two party system. And as, as Christians, we need to engage in that two party system, treat, uh, speak truth to power in that two party system. But like I said earlier, you know, Christians should never give their unqualified support and allegiance to anyone other than Jesus. And I don't think we've done that. I think the the support that we've given uh, to politicians over the last couple of years has been based on the issues, and it's been conditional. And yeah. I, I just don't think it's fair to, to rewrite and say that we've done something that we have not.
0: Right. And And I want to address something else on this, because I know some have said, well, you know, you didn't call out the president when he said this or when he did this. And I've had a policy for, um, well, since I've been at FRC, almost 18 years. And I, before that, I had the same policy when I was in office with those that were in higher office, that if if I had an issue and a disagreement with you, if you would return my call and have a conversation with me and allow me to uh, express my concerns, I wasn't going to do it publicly. Um, And that's how I've operated with most of the Republicans in Congress, probably the only exception would be Rand Paul, who doesn't really want to have conversations. But other than that, um, you know, it doesn't keep me from talking about our policy disagreements, but we have the ability to communicate. And the president, his administration has been that way. Even in these last four weeks, uh, I've had the ability to communicate multiple times, going in, trying to provide input Now, I don't think it was, it wasn't taken, uh, but seeing that this thing was not going in the right direction, um, you know, communicating what we felt needed to happen, that we needed to to call out to God, that the president needed to humble himself, um, you know, that message was taken. And so we didn't have to criticize publicly because we took the information and the conversation privately. Um, That's the way our system, as you pointed out, works, David, and what I think these individuals, whether it is their intention, the effect of this is to drive Christians from the process to somehow think, well, if we just stay on the sidelines, we won't get our hands dirty, and therefore we're more righteous because we didn't get involved in politics because we had to make the choices uh, between uh, two inferior options. And quite frankly, we don't live in a perfect world, and we're never going to have a perfect choice on this earth.
6: No, we're not. Unless Jesus is on the ballot, we're always choosing between the lesser of two evils. And, and frankly, Tony, whether it's explicitly stated or kind of uh, assumed, I think that is kind of the logic behind some of the, the critics we've heard is that, well, I just don't want to get my hands dirty. Politics is defiled. You know, that's not the real world we live in and I just think one thing that's important to say Tony is you know I've act- there been three Sundays so far at this new year I've been to three different churches one in Florida one in Ohio one in Maryland last night and it's interesting when you talk to the people in the in the pews you know they're thinking about these things uh, with nuance they're thinking about these rationally and unfortunately some of these op-eds we've seen from these so-called leaders they're just painting with a really broad brush Uh, throwing other Christians under the bus for for thinking differently than they do. And uh, I don't think that's actually representative of what's taking place in churches around the country. I think Christians around the country are thinking uh, with more nuance. And, you know, none of us are baptizing every policy or every proposal of a political party or leader. And I just think it's easier for some of these leaders in their intellectual ivory towers. Um, and again, you know, the, the media is happy to run with stories that where leaders are throwing believers under the bus. But I think we should give more credit to the believers. In the pews around the country, yeah. I think they 're thinking about this more helpfully than some of these so called uh, leaders
0: actually I agree. I had the privilege yesterday I was uh, preached at jefferson baptist church in uh, in baton rouge dr david goza and, and that 's where the pe- the people are looking for answers. I mean, look, people are upset there the uncertainty the anxiety and and I think pastors need to be preaching you know the application of the Word of God in the situation that we 're in now one one piece from this NPR article. Uh, that's, you know, came from one of these individuals Says should ministers on Sunday mornings be delivering messages about how to sort through uh, fact from fiction and discouraging their parishioners from seeking truth in these darkest corners of the Internet, speaking about all these uh, uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, people want them to preach against certain things. But when they do preach about application of Scripture to the political issues, they accuse them of being political. Um, I think pastors do need to be preaching on the issues of our day because no longer can they trust the media. they got to get it from the Word of God. How does the Word of God apply to the world and the challenges that we're facing? And I, I just wish more pastors would preach to the issues of our day as they systematically work through Scripture.
6: No, I, I agree with you, Tony, and like you and I have talked about before. You know, there's no thus saith the Lord, uh, on every single issue that we deal with in the public square. There's, you know, not a chapter and a verse for for every issue under the sun. But there are biblical principles, and that's what you and I have been encouraged. You've been doing it a lot longer than I am. But that's in the last election, and now that we're you know facing a new administration, that's my encouragement to pastors yeah. around the country: continue doing that speak the word of God to the issues that your people are dealing with. Because if you don't, someone else will.
0: Yep. And uh, pastors will be here to help you uh, dissect those issues and look at them from a biblical worldview. David, thanks so much for joining me today.
6: Thank you, Tony. All
0: right, folks. Thank you for joining us. Remember, text the word STAND to 67742. Till next time, I leave you with the encouraging words. The Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do. You've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.